Say That podcast for your big questions to get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me from a very safe, social, and maybe emotional distance is Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Greetings from the city of broad shoulders and melted cheese. Yeah, first the one and then the other. Also joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I feel like I've always been preparing for this because I've always done this show socially distant. So I've always yeah. been ready for this moment. That's a very, very fair point. A man so socially distant, he's not even on the show this week as regular co-host, founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. And you Does say, that mean he just wins socially distant? That's right. And you say, Matt, why, if he's not on the show, why did you introduce him? Because I, I'd hear about it if I didn't. Yep. A man who likes to be introduced, and we like introducing him because we do enjoy yes. having him on the show, but he's, he is on special assignment this week. Away, socially distant. Is he in some cabin in the woods just applying Purell over and over and over? We don't know. We don't know if he isn't. Who's to say? I like the idea of you giving Glenn like a one-sentence version of whatever the emergency is and then seeing if he can send you a voice memo to fly in at the end <laughs> of the I Say That podcast. You know, just see if it has anything to do with what we wound up talking about. Sure, absolutely. Roll the dice. See what happens. Yeah. It has been suggested to me on a previous time when uh, Glenn wasn't here that we should just use old clips and try to plug yes. them in. Yes. And if I were a more industrious person, we would probably do that. But Just auto-tune Glenn? Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that you, the listening audience, will have to use the theater of the mind because I ain't doing that. It's a lot yeah. of work. I have a job. You know, it is what it is. But uh, one thing we are going to do that we often do is declare several emergencies we're gonna do something a little different this week we've had you know it's been a month this week i don't know if you folks have caught (laughs) on to that but a lot of stuff happening Um, a lot of stuff that's very funny and a lot of stuff that we cannot do we know ourselves enough to know we cannot do a full 15 minute segment on without uh really really going off the rails whatever do you mean matthew I, you know, it's, we know, you know, Shakespeare said to know thyself and we know that there are some topics on which we have a three minute limit. If we're going to continue to be a, uh, a family friendly podcast, there is, there's a much to, to us possibly more interesting version of the show that we could do if we were all, uh, you know, independently wealthy and just could say whatever we wanted to, but it's not the show we have, and if you'd like to sign up for several thousand Bridgebox memberships to make it so that that's true, we can you know, we can try that. <laughs> On the burden of being a 501c3. Indeed. <laughs> Speaking of uh, charitable organizations, you know what's a technically a nonprofit organization? is a university. Aha! So well, the first thing that happened since we recorded last that is very, very funny <laughs> is that uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, was asked to step down as the president of Liberty University for taking a photo with his pants unbuttoned next to his wife's assistant holding a glass of, and I quote, black water. Oh. Black water! Murder, murder! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe we commented at the time, and just uh, Jen Glenn and I talking, that that almost makes it sound way worse than it's booze because it sounds like some sort of dark magic ritual. <laughs> yeah. Take the black yeah. water. stir the black water counterclockwise at four minutes till midnight yes under a harvest moon yes 
So that answers the question. Exactly how insanely out of pocket can you be before you suffer even the mildest of consequences? Yeah. Turns out we know anything about our friends in the Southern Baptists, which, you know, Liberty and Jerry Fall is. You got, you, he did, you know, he did, he did a fair amount of um, controversial statements based around maybe race, um, politics. Certainly some things that were theologically dodgy, and they said, well, you know, we don't love it, but that's not. But he one picture was something that might be alcohol, and you are out. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the idea that if the the picture of him with his pants unzipped next to his wife's assistant, uh, or holding on to his wife's assistant, that wouldn't have been enough. It was the alcohol that did it. Or yeah. if there was a picture of him dancing in some way. Also, you know this is bad if Matt has actually named the man. Because in yeah. eight years of this podcast, <laughs> Matt hardly ever names the Christians who are out of pocket. Yes. Yeah. That's, we're in a bold new area where it just, you know. I'm, you are the most ridiculous person in the history of Christendom named Jerry Falwell. So yeah. you really did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also did it because good news, folks. The Say That Podcast now brought to you by Black Water. Black Water. It'll really get you going out of your job. Uh, we need to. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the mercenary organization is not named Blackwater anymore, but I'm going to double check that just to make sure they don't have some kind of weird AI that's scrubbing. No, they, they definitely changed it. It's something like the Hyperion Group or something. Well, like, that sounds some, less evil. Yeah, like super ominous, like video game bad guy <laughs> ominous. Let me look that up because that's worth knowing. I yeah. think it's also interesting to think about like uh, these days, the the you know the super entrenched uh, white guy Christian that gets canned from his white guy Christian job or board or whatever, and what it takes for that to actually happen at this point, and how a couple of years ago there's no way he gets fired. No, 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 no. There's a lot of factors confluencing here, and I think we've hit the limit on how long we can talk about that before we get truly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was, I was probably, I was probably feeling, uh, starting to get a little angry. Sure, so a we little, should probably. <laughs> and if you want to have a fun game, you can play at home. You can say, "Why did they have to bail at that point? Were they about to uh, swear, say something incredibly angry, or say something libelous?" The answer might be all three. <laughs> Uh, so, so as Tasha Lawson would say, to, in to, to intentionally change the subject. Yes, the official uh, stolen Tasha Lawson uh, transition. Feel free to use that at your next uh, church meeting, dinner, or family function. Uh, now we have one that I think may be a one-sentence one. I'm, if either of you gentlemen can come up with jokes for the show on this, that's great. Uh, this comes to us from a website that I hate so much I can't mention it because I will say something uh, judgmental, but the headline reads, University of Georgia said students should, quote, consider wearing a mask during sex. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Wow. I mean, yes. And now we come to our friends at the Gospel Coalition. Ooh, I, when you first set up the other one, I thought that was the website you hated so much you were going to say something awful immediately. No, yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> this is a website run by a very short little man who, um, when, a, uh, when my father-in-law mentioned his name the first time I met him, I can, in a, like a positive, he referred to, oh, as, my, as a guy I, I like to read, you know, uh, 
Shin Bapiro, I'll say, I seriously considered jumping out of a car at 60 miles an hour on a uh, highway. Yeah, there's another joke related to him that relates to recent headlines that I'm also not commenting on. Very, very good. There's, it's kind <laughs> of a mystery emergency this year. You can you can kind of go back through Twitter and pick your own <laughs> bits and pieces. I'm it's like thinking national it treasure. loudly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't maybe sometimes people you think we should, we should comment on the hot new uh, uh, pop culture phenomenon. You shouldn't. Nope. Not going to go well for you. Anyway. Back to the Gospel Coalition. This is someone I will not name, but uh, the title of the article is Profanity is Worse Than You Think. Okay. Mm. So I, uh, I was sent just that headline by Lee with the comment of, I couldn't bring myself to click on this, but this headline is insane enough. And because I yearn for both punishment and content, <laughs> I did click said link. And I will, I will, put my, I will say up front... The overall thrust of the article is actually fine. It is a guy saying that, you know, uh, you know, the way we think about profanity, like in Matthew five is not four letter words. It is saying harsh things and unkind things and unloving things towards other people, which is great. We agree with that. That's certainly something. However, the first paragraph of this article reads growing up fooey was my G-rated response when disappointed with circumstances. <laughs> if I was mad at a person, I'd go PG once in a while, when my parents weren't around, by hurling a few stupids at my verbal victims. That's about as rough as it got. Okay. Wow. I'd go PG once in a while. When my yeah. parents I weren't around. I love the around. idea. I love the idea of... The movie Taken, Liam Neeson's on the phone, and he's like, you don't want me to go PG. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea of whatever Mayberry situation this dude grew up in, where being yeah. called stupid makes you a verbal victim. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if we sat this guy down and made him watch a Guy Ritchie movie, would his, would his head just explode? Also, you never played sports, my man. Oh, you yeah. never got anywhere near a sport. Oh, my. It's funny you mentioned Guy Ritchie, because I was just about to suggest, if there were a version of the Gospel Coalition where dialogue was written by, you know, David Mamet, like, I would totally read that. I would still disagree with all the points, but I would find it much more entertaining. Just read by Peter Capaldi? Yes. Okay, so you're pitching a, a world in which a, we get kind of, you know, because the entertainment industry is a little ground to a halt here. Yeah. We get your favorite uh, profanity-laden scribes, give them Gospel Coalition articles, and it's make the same point, just really go for it. Let me put this out here. Yes, John Piper through the lens of Quentin Tarantino, you know you would want to read that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also... <laughs> I bet um, because he didn't do the pitch, I'm going to do a little segue and the pitch right now. Please. Um, I bet that if our listeners would sign up to be Bridgebox subscribers, that um, uh, Matt King... Well, I guess we're not done with the emergency. That's why you didn't Go do the it. pitch. Um, that Double pitch Matt is King fine. would send you personal uh, his personal YouTube uh, videos of his favorite uh, Glaswegian comedian just to <laughs> counterbalance this article in his own spirit. Yes, I definitely, definitely will. Yes, it should point out, it should be pointed out that this uh, Profanity is Worse Than You Think article um, ran on the Gospel Coalition U.S. edition, 
Because I don't think they'd allow it in the UK edition. Because <laughs> having seen a sporting event in Glasgow, those people know how to swear, man. <laughs> it do, was do, do, awesome. Do they say words like double fooey? They go PG I on mean, you maybe. real hard, Matt King. <laughs> PG in the sense that I saw 13-year-olds yelling words where I was like, oh my. <laughs> I know he is a referee, but he has a mother. Calm down. <laughs> and I think given that, we will close it out here um, because I have another article from the Gospel Coalition. And while we're naming names, this is from our friend, this is about uh, Bethel, not Bethel Lutheran Church, a fine ELCA institution here on the west side of Chicago that we are friends with the bridge. This is Bethel, the large uh, charismatic megachurch based in Redding, California, which you may have heard uh, with the worship music and whatnot. I'm just going to read this out and uh, we can do with it what we will, or you can both feel free to tap out if we can't think of any jokes we can make that will make the final cut of the show. Okay. This article from the Gospel Coalition, U.S. edition, September 29th, 2018. The title, Nine Things You Should Know About the Bethel Church Movement. This is number five. Some members of Bethel, including its senior pastor, have allegedly engaged in the practice of, quote, grave sucking, unquote, or, quote, grave soaking, unquote. Lying on a person's grave to, quote, soak up the decease, quote, anointing. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to take those defeated sighs as a good <laughs> indication that it's time to move to the bridge box plug. Here's the thing about bridge box. There's no graves involved at all. Nope. <laughs> it's just an email with uh, songs and sermons. It's nice and encouraging. We're not trying to pull any dead person's anointing out of anything. Bridgebox, it's not pagan in the slightest. <laughs> Bridgebox, neo-paganism, 0%. Guaranteed. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox if you'd like to sign up and get involved. You can also check out our weekly live Bridgecast every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. If you can't catch it live wherever you are in the world, all of those Bridgecasts are archived at the Videos tab over at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. We certainly hope you will join us. There are moments when it gets weird, but it never gets as weird as any of the things we've mentioned in the previous segment. <laughs> now true. necromancy free! Now. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard that in that old 50s American-style advertising. <laughs> just that music in the background. Like, Matt, you know this, on like on Ren and Stimpy, they always oh, had those yeah. uh, commercials. <laughs> Yes. After some harsh talks with some of the pastors and some clever video editing, we are now 100% necromancy free. (laughs) Woo! Oh, this is actually an excellent transition to our first question. Believe it or not. Oh, dude, well done. And I know you won't believe it, but let me read the question, dear listener. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I can use some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down in your episode description, click one of the two links there. Our first question comes in anonymously, and it says, is everything that is not Christian demonic? I was having a conversation with a group of young Christians about the recent collection of videos from Beyonce's visual album, Quote, black is king. In the videos, there are a lot of references to African culture and spirituality as well as biblical imagery. The conversation began to discuss how Christians shouldn't watch it because it's demonic, 
And even one artist featured on the song refers to herself as a demon. I made the comment that there are things that might not be of God, but it's not all demonic. Is this a good way of viewing culture and Christianity? And I think it's an, it's an excellent question, and it's, it's one we're, we're very happy to get, which I, and I, I would say, we were joking earlier, um, this is uh, one of the reasons I think this is a great question is this very stark example of something that lesser, maybe less extreme and less clear versions of this sink into a lot of stuff with its uh, media and, oh, it's made, some I may not say it's of the devil. I mean, well, as, as Jed is uh, classically uh, known to quote, what's right about it? <laughs> you know, that idea of, you know, it's all the, the devil's mm. going to trick you with the movie and, and whatnot. So I think it's a great topic of discussion. And Jed, I'd love to get you to start us off. And maybe a, a good way to uh, start is by defining what the Bible actually says about uh, demonic stuff and demons and what they're, what actually happens so we can draw what is not that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It turns out we are all in luck. This is a great question, and we're all in luck because there's a passage in Scripture that talks directly about demons and the ideas they would like to put in your brain. It's kind of creepy that that would be true, but it is true. So let's hey. turn together to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1, and I'm going to read uh, for you. I'm in the NIV. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Aha! Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, we've got plenty of those, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. All right, you're definitely talking about 2020. Now, here's where it gets interesting. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. There's a lot going on there, and there's a lot we could look at, but I think we need to start with this idea. Demons want you to abstain from things you don't need to abstain from. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I want you to think about that for a second, because that is the opposite of what people are trying to sell you. Right. Demons want you to abstain from things you don't need to abstain from. The funny thing about legalism is, at least in my experience, and I have been bathed in legalism, <laughs> I can promise you what folks are trying to put on here, I can promise you it doesn't work because my whole childhood was a deep dive in that. I promise you it doesn't go anywhere. Is anyone else <laughs> picturing the Bane speech, but instead of <laughs> darkness, it's just talking darkness about legalism? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you merely adopted it. <laughs> I was bathed in legalism. I've always wondered which would fail first, your Bible or your mind. All right. Oh, so, that's exceptional. <laughs> with, with, with all that said, here's the interesting thing about legalism is, in most cases, the thrust of legalism is, we can't be sure this is bad, mm. but just in case, why don't you not do that? That's right. Right? That's, that's what most legalism is. And the interesting thing about that is if you look both at what Jesus said and at what Paul said, God is not down with that. 
like super, super not down with that. Jesus mm. called out the religious leaders of his day for that exact line of thinking. He was not cool with it. And that's exactly what Paul is calling out here. This idea of, you know what, we can't say for sure it's bad, but just to play it safe, why don't you not? That is not a biblical idea. It's not a Christian idea. Again, the, the witness of Scripture in this passage is demons want you to abstain from things you don't need to abstain from. Now, with that said, I want to contrast what you've been told with a different idea that may begin by sounding pretty out there, but it's actually very Christian and very biblical, and actually it's it's in this text, as we'll see in a minute. This comes from Jewish teaching. It's from a, a document called the Jerusalem Talmud, and there's a line that says, and I quote here, you will one day give reckoning for everything your eyes saw which, although permissible, you did not enjoy. Wow. Let me read that again. You will one day give reckoning for everything your eyes saw, which, although permissible, you did not enjoy. Mm. I I want us to think together about that for a minute and and track the logic on that. The Bible teaches elsewhere in the New Testament that every good and perfect gift comes from God, comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Now, If a good and perfect God gave you a good and perfect gift, and out of fear you refused to enjoy it, that good and perfect God would probably not like that terribly much. Like, that would probably be a bit of an insult, what with him being good and perfect and the gift being good and perfect. And that's actually exactly what we see in this text out of 1 Timothy, again, back at verse 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. I think rather than worrying about all the things that might possibly kind of sort of, if you squint at it, might be wrong, rather than worrying about that, I want to urge you to start thinking, what might God like you to start enjoying? All right. What are the things in your life and your world that you've been afraid to enjoy that God would like you to start enjoying? recognizing that we don't need to approach this out of guilt, we don't need to approach this out of shame, we don't need to get some sort of weird meta-guilt where we now feel bad about a whole new category of things. That's not the point. And no one jumps from zero enjoyment to 100% enjoyment in one go. That, that's not the thing either. How can we start enjoying something new? How can we begin the process of learning to enjoy a new kind of good gift that God has given us and not only get that benefit, but honor God who is a giver at the same time? I think that's what he wants, and that's what we want for you. It absolutely is. I think that's such a fantastic place to start. And Lee, I think uh, Jed did a great job breaking down the the kind of the demon part of this. Uh, Some might refer to it as the Gene Simmons part, but that's that's their choice. (laughs) We don't go one way or the other. Uh, so let's maybe uh, switch tack here because as, as we pointed out in the question, sometimes it is as kind of out there as talking about demons in the music video, but there, this is a line of thinking that is very, very common as Jed was pointing us out. So let's start to look at this. What might someone who goes to that extreme, what might be under that? That's a really great way to paint it. First of all, I do love the idea of how often our younger listeners have to rush to Google to Google our references on this Almost show. constantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you spell Gene Simmons with a G, everybody. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I think the, the key thing to understand here is that, um, that Christians typically are afraid. Um, they view differences and cultural differences very often through the lens of fear. 
And that's a real shame because uh, cultural differences are absolutely beautiful. Amen. I mean, cultural differences make our humanity so rich and so fun, so cool. And like, it's one of the, one of the greatest things that's happened in my life is through some ministry connections, having the opportunity to visit other countries and visit other peoples and to hear their language and to learn customs and to be around different situations that I never would have been exposed to had I just remained in my own place. And like when I have been exposed to those things, there's, there's like a lot of things that are just weird and a lot of things that are different and obviously amazing. And there's other things that like they're different and then you learn the why behind them and then you find the beauty in it. The problem with a lot of Christian stuff, and this is especially true when Christians come in on hard extremes. I, I want you to go back and listen to, to, to Jed's answer again and, and, and look for places in your life where Christian leaders or Christian groups have come at you with some of that language that he was describing, especially where it's very, very extreme. We need to be careful with extremes. We want to be looking for subtlety and nuance when it comes to understanding something that's different from our own experience. Christians are basically terrified that, uh, if I can say this as simply as possible, that something I don't understand will lead to sin. Yep. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. If I don't know what's going on, if I don't know where I am, then I'll probably sin. If you don't know where you are, if you don't know what you're doing, you're probably going to sin in some way. The, the, now, the, the base issue here, and to finally get around to answering Matt's question to me, is what underlies this whole thing is we are terrified of sin. You know who's not terrified of sin? Jesus Amen. He's yeah. just not terrified of it. He's not afraid of it. He's not, um, he's not shook by it. He dealt with it. He's patient with it. He understands it. I want to deal with those three things for a second. Jesus dealt with all sin when he paid for it on the cross. He is patient with your sin and my sin. He understands why you sin, why I sin when we do it. He knows all the ones you're all going to do for the rest of your life already. He already knows all the future. He understands why you do it. The book of Hebrews in chapter four and two different places say that he is a merciful high priest who gets why you sin. Now, if we could have a robust belief in that theological truth, we could all calm the heck down. Just Amen, calm man. down. Say that. If, if we really, truly, to the core of us, believed that Jesus dealt with sin, he's patient with sin, and he understands when we sin, then we could all just calm down about all the things that we're afraid of. What that would allow us to do is it would allow us to meet with a situation or a, a, or a piece of art or a piece of expression or... A, a, a type of music or a type of clothing or an aesthetic that we don't understand culturally. And it would allow us to receive that as beautiful, to try to get it, to try to understand why it's cool. Let me give you a, a real brief example. 
Um, I had the opportunity two years ago to go to Barcelona to help out with the Young Life thing um, in the neighborhood of Barcelona. And I spent a couple of days just kind of walking around the city. If you don't know, if you've never been, that entire city's aesthetic, artistically, has all been centered around this one artist named Gaudi. And Gaudi, like, he just had a really wild uh, style, just really interesting lines, colors, mosaics, everything. Like everything, this dude was just really, really interesting. But like, if I was afraid of everything that was not what I was used to, then I would take all of those angles and all of those colors and all of that stuff. And I might be worried that in some way this represented some kind of sinful thing. But if I can calm down and relax, then what I, what I get to take in is a rich beauty that is defined and added to just a colorful people who are expressive and just amazing. And, and if we can relax and not feel like we have to be like, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, like in order to be a Christian, you have to be exactly like this cookie cutter model that we have described. Uh, I don't have to be that. We have this, we have the ability to just walk and have an actual real friendship with the spirit of God. Then I can approach things that are different and start to ask questions like, where did that come from? Why is that cool? What is that adding to this culture? Um, show me some of the art. L expose me to some of the music. Let me taste some of the food. And then I can experience it and appreciate what's beautiful about it. The cool thing is, is that the Lord is active in every culture in the world. And if we can't relax about our fear of sin, we are going to miss out on a lot of depth, a lot of beauty, and a lot of who God is. Well said. That's, it is extremely well said. That is such a great point. All that was great, but I love uh, where Lee ended there, particularly with the idea that the, the Lord's at work in all cultures in the world, because and this is called out in some bits of the question we, we cut out for time, but uh, a big part of what's going on here is a a certain amount of colonial just lens through which we're seeing this. The idea that um, there are some things that are Christian or of God, as these people put it, and some things that aren't. As Jed pointed out, that's really not the way that works, but it's worth wondering why we may, as kind of Lee's pointing out here, why one may look at something visual and decide this thing is of God and this isn't. And unfortunately, in this case, a lot of that can be traced back to, um, you know, missionaries leaving from England and deciding that the thing that was in this country they got to wasn't very godly and they were going to replace it with good English values and aesthetics. That's a, a thing here. As I, as I answered our friend in the email they sent in, um, the Christmas tree is just openly and directly based on Gallic pagan ritual. <laughs> um, nobody looks around and says, oh my gosh, I can't believe you have one of those demon trees in your home. Um, and even like Lee brought up art, which obviously, you know, the, a music video and a visual album is. If you think about it, the idea of what, you know, a modern American audience might think of as Christian art basically comes from the Italian Renaissance, which is super based on uh, Roman and Greek pagan art. Like all those dudes went to Rome and just copied stuff. 
<laughs> so it's not a, a an aesthetic or a type of imagery that is inherently Christian, nor, and this may be another way someone might take it, and this is extreme, but it's, it's a belief people have of, you know, if something's not found in the Bible, that it's not of God. You know, so, you know, the, she has a thing where it's the story of Moses, and that's cool, but then there's this other stuff that's not cool. As Lee points out, if God is God, then that doesn't really fly because it's all under his umbrella. It's as these guys are pointing out, it's a lot of where you take it and what you do with it. One of the amazing things about Christianity and how it's beautifully expressed across the globe is that it is a set of beliefs that doesn't have a rigid structure and aesthetic and um, art style and hymnal and stuff that goes with it. Christianity. Oh, go for it. Also, Lee. also Matt, and sorry to cut you off, but it was already, it was already rich and uh, full of art, music, uh, creative writing and expression way before it ever reached white people. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Christianity in uh, America, in a, in a white neighborhood in America, looks different than Christianity in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, looks different than Christianity in East Asia. That's not a fault. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And as these guys have pointed out, it's, it is a fear and a misunderstanding that wants to flatten Christianity into something cultural. We talk about it on the, sh- on the show a lot. Um, if you have cultural desire, uh, pr- predilections and preferences, that's totally cool, but we can't let that get caught up in our theology because you're just, as uh, Tony Campolo once put it, you know, you're mixing um, ice cream and uh, dog and uh, cow manure. You don't improve the one, you just ruin them both. This is not a thing where uh, we're we're protecting anything or making anything better, making our walk better, as these guys have pointed out, by being afraid of, you know, a music video. We have to have a little bit of sanity going on. <laughs> so we certainly hope that helped. And as ever, if you have more specific questions, follow up, you'd like to hear something explained about it, please do write in. We are happy to do that. So we're going to move to our second question for this week. It comes in anonymously and says, how do I pray for somebody well? It feels like a lot of advice about prayer is about praying for yourself, being honest about your desires and all that. Mm. What is what about when praying for someone else? And I think this is a really cool question. And Jed, where would we start off? It's a great question, and we're we're really really glad that you wrote in. I want to encourage you to ask God to give you the eyes to see the needs that are not being met in the life of your friend. Mm. I think so often, you know, if you're if you're praying for somebody else, the odds are high that they might be having some difficulties in their life. I mean, it it's it's cool to pray for people that are doing great, but more often than not, if if we're praying for somebody it's because things are not going well. And um what you might imagine is that for most people most of the time there are some initial needs that we all think of and and we say well I can do something about that you know i mean so like culturally in the south where all of us are from you know if if uh, someone's very sick or if a family member passes away or or something like that which you know are terrible circumstances you know one of the things the community does is um everybody's making um casseroles and taking them over to the family and and trays of brownies and and dropping them off which is awesome that's super super cool it's a great act of love there's a material benefit there there's is a great thing but if we take the example of someone is very sick or someone has passed away there are other needs too 
there are other needs going on that are not casserole related. And so I think one of the things that we can seek from the Lord is wisdom about what are the needs that are being missed? Uh, what, are, what are the needs that are, that are not being fulfilled? And maybe to go even deeper, what are the needs that this person has that they might not even be aware of their own self? Um, that they might not even know to ask for. You know, when we, when anybody goes through a really, really rough time, you could go to them and you could say, hey, man, what do you need? And they may not know the answer to that question. Um, I know for, for me, when, when things get really, really rough, you could ask me, what could I do to help? And I don't have a good answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I did, I would already try and have something going on that. You know, I'm I'm just blown out, man. I got nothing. And so, Asking the Lord to help you see, again, the needs that are not being met, and to go even farther, um, the the needs that that person might not even be aware of. So let's now add two things to that. The first is, because, you know, prayer is, is, I think, perhaps at its best when it drives us to action. So one thing might be to ask the Lord to show you who is someone that I am connected with who may have been through something similar, where I can go and pick their brain. And I can mm-hmm. ask questions like, what do you wish someone had done to help when you were going through X, Y, Z? Nice. Because given that they've already, you know, hopefully reached the other side of it, they may have some insights that your friend who's going through that tough situation might not have. So that would be a great thing to pray about is just, you know, Lord, who could I, who could I get some, some expert perspective from on this? That would be really, really good. And the other thing that I would encourage you towards is really just asking the Lord um, to give you just empathy. For that other person. So, you know, obviously we, we want to be concerned for our friend, but we're, we're going to be most effective when we have a sense of what it feels like to be them. Um, when we have a sense of what it must be like to go through what they are going through. Obviously, there's no such thing as a one-to-one correspondence on that. You know, even if you have lost your grandma and they've lost their grandma, it's not the same thing. Um, those relationships weren't the same. but the more that we can have that sense of of empathy, of, of trying to feel what it, it must be like to be that person in the moment, I think the more we're going to be um, able to help, both because we've got some gas in the tank for that. You know, I mean, I think, you know, empathy, when it's in proper place, drives us to action. But I think that's going to help with that insight piece. That's um, going to help us to see more readily the things that – the needs that may not be met, the uh, the stuff that might help, the stuff that might lighten their load. Um, the last piece that, that I would encourage you on it is to maybe ask the Lord to give you the courage to do something that's – 10% helpful, but that you can do right now, um, mm. and then figure out something that would be 12% helpful and do that. That To give you the courage to start with something that you can do now rather than waiting for the one perfect thing that would really just blow their mind that we never quite get to. But just to, to be the hands and feet of the Lord, even if it's imperfect, but it's happening right now, today. That is a fantastic place to start off. And Lee, what would you add to that? I really love where Jed's taking us on this, and I, and I love all the the, the ways that it leads to the practical application. I think that's really, really awesome. I, when I think about this, I, I, I want to kind of put myself on, on front street a little bit and say that I think that, I think that Christians can be guilty of, and I, and I certainly have been guilty of this, that when somebody asks me to pray for them, sometimes if somebody asks me to pray for them in person, um, I wind up preaching a sermon to them 
Anybody ever done this before? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, yep. Uh, will you pray for me? Sure. Let me just, uh, quote unquote, direct my attention to the Lord and then preach a sermon to you about what you need to do next. Prayer bullet point one is as follows. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I say that one to, to admit, you know, just to say, if you've done that before, you're, you look, you're in good company. I, I, I've done that too. Um, but another thing I would say is whether you're with somebody praying for them in person or whether you're praying somebody in your own, in your own, on, on your own. <clears throat> um, and I've learned this most from my wife is take your time and leave some space. You've heard these other brothers on this podcast, and Glenn included, who's not with us tonight, but he said it a lot, um, that there needs to be a, a, a healthy portion of your prayer life that is simply listening, that, that we need to get, we need to flex the muscles of listening to the Lord, um, communicate things to our spirit. And I think that praying for your friends, praying for other people in your life is a great place to get some reps on this. Um, I think that when you're praying for yourself and you're praying about your own issues, it's probably easy to kind of endlessly know what to talk about with the Lord because you know yourself, you know your hangups, you know your fears, you know your anxieties, you know your whatever, your frustrations, um, <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. But like if I'm going to pray for Matt, <clears throat> I, I mean, we don't live in the same state anymore. I might not know exactly what he's going through. And so this would be a really great chance for me to just take some time and really just kind of uh, like the way that I picture it in my brain. And this, this might sound weird. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but I almost picture myself kind of like uh, going before the Lord, like, like I'm in his presence and I'm bringing Matt with me. Like I'm saying, here is my friend who I care about. You know everything that he needs. I don't know what's going on with him. I know that he's on my heart today, and so I am presenting him to you. So if you want to direct me down a, a, a rabbit hole of what to pray about or what to talk to you about with him and his life and his, and his, you know, and his wife and his ministry and his work and his relationships with his, with his team, and all of a sudden, before, before you know it, I'm I'm walking down a trail of uh, of things I'm I'm asking talking to the Lord about about Matt's life, um, and and I feel led in that way. So that's kind of a mysterious thing, but I think it's part of getting some reps and learning how to take some space and take some time and listen in your prayer life. I know for me, it's very difficult for me to take space uh, when I'm praying for myself. I feel like I have a million words in that thing. But when I'm praying for somebody else, that feels like a much more comfortable situation in which I can get some reps in taking my time, presenting this person to the Lord, and asking him, why don't you direct my heart a little bit about what this person is maybe worried about or what they're afraid about or what they're dealing with? And then uh, and then I'm going to wait and listen. It, it's not always like a I'm not always like, now I have this word of knowledge. Matt is worried about his dentist appointment in exactly 3.5 days, you know, or whatever. I, I don't have a word like that, but um, I think this is a good way to get some reps on on uh, that part of your relationship with the Lord where you just wait and listen. That's a great point. Just to see whether or not Lee does have prophetic powers, I check my calendar. I don't have a dentist appointment. 
<laughs> in three days. But if I did, I'd be very, very worried about it. So that's <laughs> a good indication of how good he is at that. Uh, it's all great stuff from these guys. One, one thing I would add on to this is um, while we're doing confessional things here on the show, one of the, the things that I often encounter in my time with the Lord, I'm praying for someone or about a situation like that I'm involved in, that they're involved in is um, uh, I, I need a, I need humility practice in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I need to, to go before the Lord and say like, Lord, I know this is their problem and this is what I should tell them to do. You just tell me how to do that. And I need to wait for the big, no, nope, that's not mm-hmm. it. You, there are things you, as John Jeff was alluding to, there are things you don't know about this. There are, uh, situations that are not going on here. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you get yourself to a place where you can be supportive and gentle and humble, and all that? And prayer's a great place to do that because I've tried that part, and I've tried going in guns blazing and making a complete ass of myself. They both end up in the same place, but if you can do the first part in the prayer with the Lord and getting the wisdom, it goes a lot smoother for everyone involved. <laughs> so part of what kind of I, as you guys are saying, you know, talking about eyes to see is. Um, that's actually is a corollary to when you're praying for yourself. We talk about, you know, the importance of, of getting kind of getting it all out there and then letting the Lord do what he will with it. That's the same way in situations with other people. A lot of times getting your assumptions and your kind of shortcut ideas and your thoughts about a situation out. So you can let him fill you in on that. And the, the other thing I would add on the end of this is and both these guys have, have mentioned similar things is, um, there may be times where, you know, the, the thing you're listening for and the thing you get is not a big thing. That's there's, there's no problem with that. Uh, the, the, the value of going up to someone, Oh, two, two weeks after they mentioned something and just going like, Oh, you mentioned you were having a hard time with, you know, X, Y, Z in the small group last time. How's that going? That's, that's massive. And you can't undertake how, how important that can be to someone. The impact little things like that can have. So don't be afraid if that's the answer you get. We're going to move on to our final question this week. It came in anonymously, and it says, A friend of mine passed away recently. I struggle with letting go in a situation like that, and I know that is what grief is. Mm. How can God help me grieve in a way that I can finally let go? And a, a really cool question. This is uh, Grief is a topic we've, we've dealt with in a recent uh, Bridge Live, and it's, it's obviously a, a multifaceted topic, but... Jed, specifically in this situation where it sounds like somebody is, is ready and wants to get to the point of acceptance and is having a hard time getting over that hill, where would we start? Well, it's a great question. And first and foremost, we're so sorry for your loss. Yeah. Uh, we're so sorry yeah. for what you're facing and what you're dealing with. We're praying for you. We stand with you. Uh, you you asked how God can help you. And, and I think that there are two things, if it were me, I would want to ask God for. The first, and and I'll I'll need to explain because Christians have kind of ruined this concept, but I think you want to ask God for patience with yourself. Now, to be clear, uh, you've probably heard Christians tell you that if you pray for patience, God will make your life fall apart because that's how he teaches you patience. That's, That's not it, and that's not what I mean. What I mean is pray that God would give you the courage to not be in a rush with yourself. And the reason for that is that Grieving takes as long as it takes. There is not a set timetable for this. Um, And I think one of the disservices that we do to ourselves is to insist, I should have this figured out in X time period. It doesn't matter what that time period is, a day or a week or a month or, or whatever. When we kind of artificially put a timetable on it, we just make things way harder 
Uh, and, and we don't need to do that. There's, there is no rule that says you have to have this sorted out in a specific length of time. So again, I think we want to ask God to give us the courage to not be in a rush, to give us the courage to go slow and to take our time and to, and to do what we need to do. Um, the second thing that I think we want to ask God for is to guide us to a safe place, whether that's a relationship or a group of people or whatever, but a safe place where we can share our feelings. Mm. And let's explore kind of the, the constituent ingredients there for a second. The, the first is you do need to be able to share your feelings. Um, you, you need to be able to say out loud to another human being how you are feeling about all of this. That's important for you, and, and we'll talk in a minute about why that's important. But in terms of a place being safe to do that, there are at least two things that need to be going on. The first is you need to know that you're doing that in a place where you will not be judged, um, where you will not say, I feel X, Y, Z, and someone will give you some variant of, don't feel that. That's a bad feeling. Feel this better feeling I want to suggest to you. <laughs> um, we, 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 we don't want that, particularly when it comes to grieving Unfortunately, there are a lot of people, many of them well-intentioned, who their immediate response to hearing the way you are feeling is going to be to tell you to stop feeling how you're feeling and feel some other way. Um, we, we don't want that. We, we want people who will listen without judging you for feeling that way. That's thing one. But the, the second, then the second thing about a safe place to share your feelings is one where you don't have to be afraid about bringing other people down. Um, you know, we, we used the example already in the show of grandma passing away. And, you know, when a family member passes, one of the things that's really tough is we can feel bad about talking about our grief with other people in the family. Cause it's like, well, I feel sad about grandma passing, but I know they feel sad about grandma passing too. And so it's like, if I'm talking about how I'm feeling, then I'm just bringing them down and I know they're already sad. So I probably just shouldn't say anything. Let's find people that we can talk to about this loss where we don't have to worry about bringing them down, where we don't have to try and, and shoulder a burden for the sake of everyone else, where we can unburden ourselves. That, and that's, that's really the goal, if you can dig it. The, that's kind of the, the last piece of, of a safe place is we're not necessarily looking for a place where we will say, I feel sad because this person that I love passed away, and then this other person will give this brilliant insight that makes it all okay. That's not what we are looking for. And we're not looking for that because that kind of doesn't exist. Death sucks. It's a crappy That's thing. Right. And, we, and we feel bad about it. And, and, that, and that is what it is. But what makes it safe and what makes it worthwhile is that we can unburden ourselves. When you're grieving, you're carrying this weight around with you. That's not a, a bad thing. That's not you're doing something wrong. It just is what it is. You're carrying a weight around, and we need a place where we can set that weight down, even if it's just for a few minutes, and let ourselves rest a little bit. And if you are able to get that safe place, and, and again, I would ask the Lord to guide you to that, whether that's a support group or an individual, a counselor, a therapist, if we're able to get that, here's what we're going to discover is you're not alone. Mm. And that may be the thing we need most in this moment is to discover I am not the only person who has ever dealt with grief. And this person has dealt with grief and has made it to the other side. If they can make it to the other side, I can too. It's not today, 
because I'm not in a rush and there's not a fixed timetable on this right. and it's going to take as long as it takes. But one day I know I can get to the other side of this because other people have too and I'm not alone. And that's the thing that we really want for you is that safe place to unburden yourself, discover that you're not alone and that you don't need to be in a rush. Ask the Lord to give you those things. We are confident he wants those things for you. That's a great place to start off. That is all entirely true. And we, we've talked in the show before about the concept, and it's really the beginnings of what Jed is describing there of grief work of a of a process that is you you can put it down in your in your journal or you can, I mean you put it in your calendar for doing a little bit of it a day. What does that look like as far as um, I think a thing that our friend wrote the question is has exactly right is there is a end point of this process we want which they define it as letting go and some people might call reaching acceptance or gaining peace. And that's all great. What is the, the kind of day to day work of that look like? And how do we do that in a sustainable way? That's a really great, great, uh, way to set that up. And it's interesting where Jeb was leaving that at the end, uh, hitting again, that idea of we're not in a rush. My first note on this was take your time. Don't try doing it all at once. Um, I, I heard, I heard Glenn describe this one time as Thinking about like, you know, that when you lose someone that you love, think about you have like a uh, a shoebox of photographs and those are like your memories of that person. Those are emotional connections with times that you shared with them or moments that they affected your life. And if you were to take that, that shoebox down and try to look at every single one of those pictures at, in one you know, in, in one time, like I'm going to go through this whole box, it would be overwhelming. There's no way you could process all of the things that you would feel in that time. And so the idea of grief work and spreading that out is I'm going to pull that shoebox down and I'm going to look at a couple of those pictures, two or three of those pictures. I'm going to handle a couple of memories with that person. I'm going to process those and think about those. And then I'm going to put that box up and then I'm going to handle the day's activities. I'm going to do laundry and dishes and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to, you know, cook dinner for my family or whatever the thing is, Uh, mow the grass or whatever. And then tomorrow I might take that box down and deal with a few more of those. The, the, the really cool thing about the, the picture of that kind of advice is the fact that our emotional self can only handle humongous um, depth like that a, a little bit at a time. And, that, and that's okay. And that's why we don't want to get in a hurry about this. We want to take our time and do it a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. I can tell you one thing, as a person who has grieved the loss of people that I loved in my life, um, you need to give yourself permission to feel really weird things all at the same time. And to not have any kind of judgment about that. Like, um, you might, like, you might go from, you might swing wildly from really, from, from feeling really sad to feeling like, like thinking about some moment you shared with that person that you lost that just is hilarious and just makes you crack up. And you're remembering how funny this thing that they did or said was, or this moment that you guys shared and that and the idea that, that both of those emotions could live in the same brain and heart at the same time is so counterintuitive and yet they do and in moments of grief you'll have hilarity that meets right up against deep sadness 
Like, I miss this person so much, and I can't stop laughing. And that's a bizarre thing. And there's, there's a thing inside us that would make us feel like I shouldn't be laughing if I really loved somebody. But no, you feel them all at the same time. And that's all part of grief work, of working through the way those emotions make us feel. I recently, um, I recently lost someone within the last uh, five months who was very dear to me. Um, somebody who at a critical moment in my professional life was one of the only people in the room who believed in me in a group of people who had basically the decision to make that would, that would change the rest kind of the trajectory of the rest of my life. Um, this person was somebody who believed in me and fought for me. And, and he, he passed within the last five months. And part of the work that I did to get through the feelings that I felt was I called some other people who loved this dude and I just said, hey, can we just talk about some great times that we had with him? Um, do, you, do you feel like you're in a place where you could talk about him? Um, and let me say, this sounds, like I'm, this sounds like I'm going up against something that Jeb was saying earlier when he was saying, you know, you don't want to talk to somebody that you feel you might be burdening. That's why, for me, I, like, I didn't call this guy's wife to talk about the things or this guy's kids. I talked about, I called somebody who, like me, was in a similar position of like, we were friends, we were on the same board, and I know I'm not going to be burdening your whole deal with with having this conversation, but do you want to walk through some of these memories with me? I've got these memories, I just need to talk to somebody who also loved this dude in this scenario, at this at these board meetings or whatever. And we had the greatest conversation, and it just helped me process some of the things that I was feeling. And it helped me walk through the, it helped me to walk through those memories again. Um, I think finding, you know, being wise about who you call, but getting on like a FaceTime or a, or a phone call with somebody who loved that person along with you could walk through some memories with you. And so that you can feel some of the sadness and some of the hilarity together and walk through that without judgment. That's a, a good and important part of this kind of grief work. Again, that takes some wisdom because Jed's exactly right. We don't want to we don't want to weigh somebody down who um, doesn't need to walk through this in the same space that we are. But if we've got somebody like that where we could share some of these moments and memories, um, that can be an important part of grief work as well. I that's absolutely right. That's that's all great stuff. I, I will share a, a a very similar story, but on the kind of exact same uh, the exact opposite end of the spectrum. That I think will. Uh, illustrate a lot of what we're talking about here. When my uh, grandmother passed away, she was, she was a sweet lady. She was very dear to me. She was also, as they said at the time, a big personality, (laughs) which is a nice way of describing someone who has the capacity to be a giant pain in the rear end when they want to. (laughs) So to be honest, we, we, we were, you know, the family had gone to the funeral and done the thing. And it was this weird thing. There was a whole, had to be a whole weekend circus. And we're back at the house she had lived in for 50 years and raised all my, my dad and his siblings in. And nothing felt right or normal until we started sharing stories of her being an absolute pain in the neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and that you may say, well, does that mean that experience? Is that like experience honest? And the thing Lee discusses where he discuss sweet memories, that's like sugarcoating? Not at all. 
Nope. Is my is my thing cynical where Lee's is like sweet and scriptural? Not at all. That's just yeah. a group of people kind of finding their their level together. That's and I right. really want to underline the thing Lee was saying, which I think is super true of your emotions will be all over the place. They will be contradictory. They will be um, jumping back and forth. And that's all fine. It's it's a lot of emotion to take on. And also <coughs> the the point of you, I really like the wording, the question of of being over it and moving on and all, all the ways we may put that letting go, as you put it, the the point is not to not feel any bad emotions. The point is not to feel like the way you did before they passed. This is in a very kind of real way. You are living in a new world. Mm, that's right. This person was part of your, your physical world and that now they are not. A lot of this grief work is finding what's this new world. How does this work? What does this feel like? What do we, so when you arrive at a normal on that, whatever that normal is for you, that that's, that's cool. It doesn't have to feel like what, what normal was before. It doesn't have to fit a, a pre a prescription of the way it should be or where it should land. Whatever works for you is what works for you. And Lee, one more thing on this. Yeah. I, I just, I just thought of this one uh, and you reminded me of it a second ago uh, with something that you said. It was something I thought of when Jeb was talking about not being in a hurry. And this, I don't, I, I, I hope that this does not feel like I'm minimizing anything about the loss of a person because I definitely never, ever, ever want to do that. But you may have had experiences like I have in my life where you have lost a certain relationship in your life. The person is still alive, but the relationship is gone. Um, and that, can feel a lot of the same way. And it can give us an understanding of what grief feels like. And the, the sharpest example for me is that my parents are divorced. And um, uh, for people whose parents are divorced, you may feel a similar thing that like, uh, it was the, the way that Matt said that like, you're in a new reality. There was like, there was the part of my life where my parents were together. And now there's the part of my life where they're not together. And, um, the thing that I can tell you is that that part where they, like my parents have been split up for, um, uh, almost 19 years at this point, I'd say 18 and a half years. And there are still 18 and a half years later, sharp, acute moments where that pain comes and finds me again. Yeah. And, and yeah. I want to, I want to bring that up as a way to say, uh, when you have loved someone and you lose them, you could be decades later and you could have a sharp, acute pain that feels as deep and as present as the moment that you found out that you lost them. It probably won't last as long, but I've had... Uh, Christy and I would be like driving to downtown Knoxville on a date and I would see a, a, a sign or a car. I remember, I remember being passed on the interstate by a car that, <laughs> that we used to own when my parents were together. And the whole thing hit me at once again. It had been uh, over a decade since they split up. And it was very sharp. I wept a lot. My wife just grasped my hand. And then we worked through it. It was a quick little moment, but it was like, all that to say, when you have lost someone dear to you, 
you are you may have moments like that a decade later, two decades later, where you feel it all again with that. And I love that that everybody that's spoken on this has said, take your time, don't get in a hurry, where you feel it all again with that same kind of of depth. And you're and you're gonna walk through it again. You're gonna get better at it. You're gonna you're gonna move through it in different ways, but you loved deeply and you hurt deeply. And so sometimes you're just gonna hurt again. And that is totally okay. And I just wanted to say that just in case you find yourself 10, 12, 20 years down the road, you see a photograph or you hear a song or you see a TV show intro and you find yourself back in that same emotional state. I think that's an excellent point and a, a definitely a worthwhile inclusion. Um, there, there's something very, very deep and profound going there. There's also a, a simple reality here where someone would say, might, you know, look from the outside um, and say, well, you know, it's been almost two decades since you're, these people split up, or it's been, you know, 10 years since the first died or whatever. Why, why is this affecting you so badly today? And uh, th- there's a lot of, as Lee's pointing out, memory and the way he sense works, all that. But at the fundamental is just because it's sad, dude. Yeah, yeah dude. man. Like, we don't need to get too deep into that. Just because it's been a while doesn't make this not a sad thing. And if you want to bring a little bit of theology into it, there is the, the fundamental thing uh, that death doesn't make sense. It's not not supposed to be in there. It's a right. it's an interlocutor. It's it's a a glitch in the system. It is the most unpleasant thing to contemplate and deal with because it just doesn't sit right with us. So I think a lot of what we're pointing to here on this is no amount of not being over it or taking more time or having something for again. None of that means you're doing something wrong or you're not dealing with stuff you're avoiding stuff uh, the, the putting in the work is putting in the work and you're doing that all this stuff may still happen that's not a failure that's not a problem that's because uh sad stuff is sad if i yeah. may go deeply yeah. philosophical on you. And then <laughs> sometimes uh, the 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 work to get to a good place can be a little complex and, and have a lot of moving parts but sometimes the 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 bottom line is that simple and you have to allow yourself to just kind of be subject to that and not let it say anything about you. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. I'm, I'm remiss that it went by at the time and we answered the entire demon question and no one brought up the screw tape letters. Aha! And I think that's a, some kind of record and B, we're going to get our Christian podcasting license pulled, <laughs> but <laughs> worth pointing out. Also, you can sign up at missionusa.com slash bridgebox, or you can check out our live bridgecast every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time over facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. Jed, uh, during one of our questions, uh, referenced James 1.7 about every good and perfect gift coming from above. We're going to take it out with the Pool House Gurus take yes, sir. on that very scripture. We'll take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, we're not afraid to get totally PG-13 and say things like, <laughs> stupid fooey. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Every perfect gift comes to us from above, comes to us from above. Every
father of lights, from the father of lights. Every perfect gift. Do I know for you? Do I know for you?